to the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. This week's show is brought to you by Ranger Boats, still building legends one at a time. Now, here's your host, David Shong. Welcome, everyone, again to another episode of the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, brought to you by Ranger Boats. Powered by Mercury Marine with Reliant Lithium Batteries, providing the juice. I am David Chung, and joining me is Danny Blanford. Welcome back, Danny. Were you able to get some lines with this past week at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's spring in the Midwest, and, uh, you know, it's it's the early stages. But, yeah, we got a chance to get out and fish. We caught some nice fish. It's tournament season here, and and I'm excited. They're small potatoes compared to compared to our guests, but... Uh, Love to compete, and it looks like we're going to have some opportunities ahead of us. So we're all good up here. Yeah, no, I, I had to take advantage of the the good weather at home here before uh, this. I don't know if it's a cold front, but it was a cold front compared to what the oddball hot weather that we've I've been experiencing as well up here. So got to catch a few. It was a bit tougher than I, I was hoping it would be, but um, had to take advantage of it. Now it's like I think the, today it's like the, up in the high of the mid fifties. So. It's not horrible, but you know, it beats having ice and everything. So, but oh yeah, yeah. same thing here. You know, we're fishing at home, and uh, man, talk about fishing at home. We've got the guests lined up for that. I was <laughs> I was thinking about that today out on the river, or not today. It was yesterday, day before yesterday, when I was out there, and thought about what it would be like to have major events come and and be the hometown hero on something like that. So I'm anxious to get started. Well, like you mentioned, we've got uh, our guest for today is the uh, the hometown hero, the guy who who took a win at home, and that's the winner of the Bass Pro Tour Stop Three on Lake Murray, Anthony Gagliardi. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Man, I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Now, have you been out on Lake Murray since your win at all, or is it, you know, or is it <laughs> no, just no? <laughs> that was a, I have not. Um, I haven't. Of course, we hit spring break was the week following that tournament so we were at the beach spring break so this is actually the first week that i've been back and back master's house so i'm not going to go out there and and bother <laughs> those guys um, <laughs> but i don't know that i'd have gone out there anyway if if, if that hadn't been the case but i've been kind of just um enjoying enjoying the win and looking forward to you know looking forward to that next one at gunnersville but uh, yeah, just hearing, <laughs> listening to you guys talk about that, like having those big tournaments on this lake. I'm so glad that, that Lake Murray is a great lake and guys catch them and the weights are really good. And so they want to have tournaments here. I'd hate to, I'd hate to be a local on a place where it's really bad and nobody really wants to go there. Then you're just hoping and praying that you get to have a big tournament on your home lake. So I'm fortunate that the lake's really good and that it kind of is welcoming to these big tournaments. So I'm glad for that. Yeah, that's a cool deal, Anthony. Just so you know, I'm on the Ohio River. I think the chance of you guys ever coming back here to fish again <laughs> are somewhere between slim and none. Uh, the only thing we hold records for, Maybe. <laughs> we hold all the, the the smallest big bass record. I think some of the smallest weight records, stuff like that. So um, I think the organizations get beat up if they come up my way anymore. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, Anthony, since, since you talk about, you know, the fishing is going good, are you one of those guys that, you know, when these big tournaments come that you hope they don't come at all. So these guys don't spoil your spots or are you like, you know what, all the more tournaments that happen at, at home, the better just for the tourism or just to shed more light on Murray. Yeah. You know, I, I really don't, um, you know, I want them to come. Yeah, I do. You know, 
The only reason, the only bad thing about having these, when we have a tournament like this come, is just the fact that it goes off limits as far as getting info. So that's the downside for me is like I can't, I just can't talk to friends like I normally would about fishing. And so I kind of have to stay, you know, from, from all the, just the normal fishing talk. But man, I, yeah, I, I want them to come here. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm always happy for the lake. I'm happy for the area. Lake Murray country, um, they've been a sponsor of mine for a long time, and that's who's responsible for bringing these and, and all types of other events to the lake and to the area. So I'm happy for them. So, yeah, I, I want them to come. And to be honest, I really don't have a whole lot of secrets out there that, that I'm you know not really wanting to part with. It seems like every time we come here and have a big tournament, I always have to try to figure something new that I've never done before, and that, that's really kind of – with the exception of the, the cup that I won, um, that's been the case with everyone that I've won here is, is fishing it different really than, than I usually do. So I, if we ever come back here again, which history says we probably will, I don't know how soon that would be, but I'd imagine I'll probably be out there trying to figure something else out, something new, just to kind of stay out in front of everybody maybe. But, um, no, I'm always, I'm always happy when they announce one here on this lake. I'm, I'm always glad for that. So going to stop three, you know, with 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 this being your home lake, and obviously you being a favorite to do well at this event, did you think that you were going to win this event, or was it just you know just trying to uh, you know just do well with the added pressure of being the hometown favorite? Yeah, you know, I really, um, I really did not. Um, in fact, I was I was worried, you know, and I wouldn't say that. I guess there was pressure, you know, obviously. Um, you feel the pressure being, you know, having won here before, you know, I, I know that there's people around here that, you know, hope that I do well and people, you know, some people expect that I would and, and just outsiders do. And myself also, like I put pressure on myself to do well, cause I know I'm from here, but you know, I would always try to myself, look, man, you've, you've won two big tournaments here on this, like, you know, you second, had a chance to win that one. Um, another one so like you don't have anything to prove it's not i've already proven that like i can compete and and i can you know i can get it done here on this lake so i always try to just remind myself of that to not let that pressure get to me too bad but honestly just being this time of year i was i was a little bit worried because in the springtime fish are shallow i knew they would be spawning um a herring bite would be going on and, and that's a schooling bite so that's another type of visual it's a visual bite so it's it's not like these fish are and you have to know secret spots. I mean, if you just open your eyes, you're going to find them. You're either going to see them on the bed or you're going to see these fish pushing bait in places. So I really felt like any kind of advantage that I might would have at a different time of year was not going to play as much just because of the time of year. So honestly, like when the thing started, well, let's, let's roll it back a week or two before, you know, the week or two to it. I was just hoping, like, just have a decent event here. You know, you, you had a terrible start to the year in the first one. Got a little bit of momentum, had a top 20 at Douglas Lake. So I was like, just kind of just keep it going. And, and if you finished 25th or 30th, like, I would have been happy with that. I honestly, I would have in those weeks leading up to it. And obviously, when, once we had our two days of official practice, I kind of felt a little bit better than that. So I I'd raised the bar a little bit. But, the whole off season and everything else, I was a little bit worried just because of the time of year. I knew that I really didn't, I didn't have a, a home field advantage like I might would have had it been in the summertime or early spring or winter time when you know some of the deeper offshore stuff might have come into place. So I was, you know, in a way, I was surprised, but I, I still, I, 
you know, I still expected myself to do good deep down, I guess, but I was worried. I was, was a little bit worried in those weeks leading up to it. So what was your approach to practice? Cause you mentioned earlier that, you know, um, you're trying it gets a bit harder because you're trying to find ways to uh do things a little bit different maybe to give you that extra edge over the the rest of the field there mm -hmm. but what was your approach to this week uh with when it came to practice at least well you know i, I started out um you know kind of just reflecting back to two years ago when the tackle warehouse pro circuit was here it was a little later it was probably about this time actually in april and 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 i did well in that one on the herring spawn and I didn't have a whole lot of places that I caught them doing that, but I, I had a few and, and I caught some big ones. And so I kind of, that's how I felt like this tournament would be won. And I really felt like it would be won on this herring spawn fish. So when the practice, I just, I spent the whole first half of the first day, I guess, looking for that. I fished places that I caught them before, fished some new places. And, you know, after, you know, half the day was gone, I didn't really ever have a good bite doing that. You know, I, I caught fish doing it. I found six or seven places at least and but they just weren't they weren't the size that i knew it would take in order to i mean really honestly even make it through the first cut um so i you know i started looking for bedding fish i knew that i would obviously i love sight fishing so i knew i was going to do that some so i looked as well you know tried to find some up on the bed but you know it was that afternoon on the first day is when i kind of started started trying to branch out a little bit just because i i knew I knew what it was going to take weight wise, or at least I had an idea in my head and I just didn't feel like the, the fish that I caught on the herring bite were going to, I just didn't think that they were going to be big enough. And, and I didn't really feel like I had enough places to do that anyway. So that's when I kind of moved out a little bit deeper, started experimenting on some of those same types of places, but just fishing out a little bit. And, and I, I got bit pretty quick when I did that the first day. And so I, the second day again, I, I still practice some of the shallow stuff and, and sight fish or look for some on the bed, but I spent more time, you know, playing around in that little bit deeper and ended up feeling pretty confident that I was going to be able to catch. Um, I mean, I think, I believe even Brian Thrift and what I thought I could catch. And, and I told him, I said, I think I can catch 17 or 18 without catching a big one. That's, I think that's what I told him. And because it just seemed like every bite that I was getting out there doing that was three and a half to three and a half to four pounds. So, that's kind of what that's kind of the way it ended up playing out those first two days you know 17 and some change and and didn't really lean on fish very hard i i just kind of tried to expand on water each day and, and i was able to capitalize on that by fishing new water every single day of the tournament and it, it, that's really probably what made the biggest difference was just not really having to go back and double back and, and fish the same areas real hard trying to scratch out more fish i would go back to areas that i felt like had you know a concentration of fish, but each day I would probably spend two thirds of the day fishing new water. So I think that made a big difference. Hey, Anthony, you hit on fishing that deeper depth or just out from where other guys may have been looking at. Uh -huh. were, were you catching fish that were coming or going or a mix of both or, or what do you think? Yeah, was out I think there it was both. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, I think it was, it was some of both. It was fish. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was really. I was catching herring fish. I mean, that's what they were. And, and this, that time of year, the herring fish are pre-spawn and post-spawn. You have some that are, you know, they're coming up and they're getting ready to move into spawn. So they, they come up in those points and they feed some of them, you know, on those points, you'll have some fish that had spawned, you know, a week or two before and they're coming out. Um, so you're, those herring fish have a little bit of a mixture of both, especially early in the year like that. So I think that's what I was catching. It was just that, 
I was fishing for ones that were out a little bit deeper that weren't really pushed up on, on points. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with the wind. You know, the first, for the, yeah, for the majority of that tournament, we really didn't have a whole lot of wind. And, and those herring, the herring bite is really wind driven here. It, it's better when the wind blows. It's just, especially because we normally have a lot of clear water and these fish are pressured. They get a lot of pressure this time. Of year. And so if the wind's not blowing, a lot of times those fish may still be on those points, but they won't bite as well. Or what I think I figured out was that they kind of back out sometimes. And so I think I was catching fish that were there to feed on herring, but they just, they were a little bit lazy and they weren't very active. And, and just the fact that they were in deeper water, it was made them a little bit easier to catch. I honestly think that was the whole deal was, you know, I wasn't fishing for those ones up there shallow that were harder to catch without wind because I was fishing out there in eight and 10. It really didn't matter if the wind was blowing or not. Um, and then of course the whole striper deal. And I talked about that. There was a lot of stripers where I was and, a lot of the bites that I got came around where there were groups of stripers. And I think that those stripers get into an area and sometimes the bass travel with them. You know, sometimes they feed in those same schools and travel with the stripers. And then other times there's a bass just sitting on a point. He may not really be willing to bite anything, but when a school of stripers comes in there close to him, it, it's, it triggers him. And it just, I think it triggers like a reaction feeding type. So if he sees something in front of him because he's got all that feeding activity around him, it'll make him bite a little bit easier. So I think I was capitalizing on that. Just having those stripers close to me, I think it activated, you know, whatever the fish happened to be in that area where I was. Do you think that was, that's an awesome point. And so I got a two-part question on that because I wanted to talk to you about the striper thing. One, earlier you were talking about having to figure out something different. Was this the first time you really exploited mm. that deal or is that something that you've always known? And two, do you think it's like a audio visual thing? You know, because I, when I hear you say that, the, the stripers come in, there's a lethargic bass. Um, my mind mm -hmm. goes, my mind goes to a hydro wave, right? You start hearing the, the yeah, it's like a natural hydro wave. That, yeah, yeah. I even made that comment on a different interview. I felt like it's almost just like a natural hydro wave, and that's the case. Like, I mean, we see that all the time. Uh, right. You know, it just ignites a feeding frenzy. Um, and I, I think that that was part of what was going on for sure. Um, so you were out with But yeah, were. that was not something I had done before. Uh, I think that was the first part of the question. It I, was. You know, it's not uncommon here to, you know, when those fish get a little bit pressured, it's normal. I mean, there are guys that do well fishing a shaky head and things like that. They'll, you know, they'll fish a worm or even a wacky rig or a drop shot up on those points where those fish are. And that, in fact, Jonathan Van Dam and a couple of those guys caught fish doing that too. You know, they just they just didn't have as many places to run as I did. And I think that they were fishing up there. They were fishing for the fish that they would see breaking up there in two to three foot of water. Right. And they just get, they get really hard to catch sometimes. And that's not, it's not uncommon to do that. And I've done that before on those types of fish. I've never experimented with it out in that deeper depth zone. That's the first time I'd ever done that. So there's one more part to that, David, that I want to ask. And I think this probably, Anthony, this probably goes back to some of your history. When I think about regions that I know, there's historical areas where the bass will come in and spawn. You can find them there year in, year out, you know, minus major changes. You hit on something about, right. you hit on something about going back a couple of years in your index and thinking about a herring spawn. Have you found that the herring are the same way? I mean, do they have spawning areas where they consistently show up as well, or do they just head to a bank and do it? I mean, you, you kind of sound like you were saying you knew the herring were going to be there. Well, I mean, it's there. I would say that we pretty much visit the same places that, that being 
I don't have a big long list of waypoints for herring spawn places. That's one of the places. That's the that's the bite I know the least here on this lake. Like actual points where like I know this is a good point, and they're probably going to be here schooling. You know, come April, I don't have many of those. Which was another reason why I was trying to look for something different. They will. I mean, the ones that I do know been good ever since. I mean, for ten years or more. So they they come back to the same. It's just like a. Just like a shaft spawn, they're looking for something in particular, they're looking for hard bottom. So, you know, they, they get out there and, and will spawn on those clay points and the rock points, just like the shad like to get up around riprap or, or boat docks, any kind of hard objects. So, yeah, there's there's definitely points that are always, you know, consistently good. And a lot of them are community points that are they're even hard to fish most of the time because it's, if it's a point that's always good, I can assure you there's 100 locals that have figured it out <laughs> right, over the years. Right. And so it's hard to get on those types of places. And that's another factor that kind of played into my, you know, my win, I think was that a lot of those guys were fishing community points and they're good points. Don't get me wrong. Like they're big ones get on them, but they get pressured. And, and some of the guys even made the comment, like on that final day, they never got to fish a couple of their best places because there was always a boat there. And so I kind of knew that that was going to be the case too, um, which I felt like it was going to help me because guys were starting to talk about the pressure on the fish and I I didn't have any pressure on mine. So <laughs> I was hoping like there was four or five tournaments out on the lake that day. Cause it would just, it would have really clogged all those shallow points up and I'd still been able to do what I was going to do, but it was just going to make it tougher on everybody else. But right. um, yeah, they, they use the same places. I mean, it's just like a bass. I mean, a, a good spawn is just good. Historically, it's going to be good just because the conditions in that area are conducive for what they need. Right. Awesome. Awesome. That, that helps me a lot, man. I appreciate that. So Anthony, you talked about, you know, you were expecting about 17 pounds. You would be able to catch 17 pounds without having to catch a really big one. So day one and day two, you were pretty consistent with 17, 12, and I think 17, eight on mm-hmm. the second day of the qualifying. Was that weight? What you were you expecting? Uh, a little bit better weight. Cause I know that you, you always hope that you have, that kicker fish in there. So was that was that seventeen twelve expected, or were you hoping for a lot better uh, come to, to come the actual tournament? Um, I, I mean, I was hoping, I was hoping for better. I mean, I thought that I had a good chance to be able to catch twenty pounds doing what I was doing, um, because when you're getting quality bites like that, when you're getting I mean, most of the bites that I was getting doing that, especially in practice, like I say, they were I didn't catch three and a half pounds, and I didn't catch any five pounders, but I caught some fours. Um, so I just felt like, man, you just catch, you know, you catch four, three and a half pounders and a four and a half, like there, there's your 18 and a half right there. Eight. And then if you do that long enough, there's a, there's many good fish in this lake. I honestly felt like, like if I dedicate enough time to that, I'm going to catch, like I'm going to get a five or six pound bite at some point doing that, which that's how you're going to get to 20. So I honestly felt like I, I probably could get to 20 each of those days. And, and I don't know that I, I might could have because the, you know, I, well, the first day, probably not because I fished pretty hard. But the second day, um, you know, once I knew what I needed to get in, you know, I felt pretty comfortable. And, and I, I just kind of went practicing, you know, the last part of that first day or the last part of the second day because I knew I was going to make the knockout round. So, I mean, I probably could have caught a little bit more than I did. But it, it's just, it was one of the few times where it actually, like, it actually played out like like I thought that it might as far as, you know, the type of bites I was getting. And just those the night round and the championship round, I just dedicated more time to it. Those first two days, I still spent a lot of time up on the bank looking, like I did. I, I spent a lot of time looking for betters, uh, throwing 
milky worm around just because I was still trying to fill the lake out. And, and I didn't know for certain that that deep drop shot bite was going to be the deal or not. So I was still playing around with some other stuff, basically practicing at that point. But then once we got down um, into the knockout round, I, I pretty much just said, I'm going to roll the dice and, and I'm going I'm, I'm to focus the whole rest of the tournament doing this because I think this is the best thing that I got going. And, and so the more time I spent doing it, just – I got a few better bites each day, so I think it was just a matter of doing it long enough before you came across a big one. Now, I never would have expected to catch an eight. Like, I've not caught many eight-pounders out here, but, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did expect to be able to catch a five, five-and-a-half-pounder, you know, here and there. So you uh, talked about – oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I bet we're thinking the same thing. Go ahead, David. Well, I was going to say, so you're talking about practicing, and I'm, I'm just – when when you're talking about – because this is during the actual competition days, you know, looking for new mm-hmm. water, are you – are you – with with uh, with four facing sonar being such a big player, are you just looking for fish with uh, with sonar only, or are you also, you know, throwing stuff out, seeing the fish are reacting and stuff as well? And no, actually- I was fishing. Okay. Yeah, no, I fished. I mean, and after like I think it was that on the second day, I shook three or four fish off that I felt like were pretty good fish. I mean, possibly a big one, but I'd already had you know at that point I had seventeen. I was in, I was probably in fifth place at the time. And it was hard to do. I'm going to be honest with you. It was hard just because it was coming from the everything you can catch format for the last four years. Like it was, it was hard to get a bite and not set the hook on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like, I, I mean, I felt really comfortable about where I was, but man, i tell you after I did that was the first one. And I thought it was a big one. Like I even told my official, I said, I think this is a big one here. And I didn't set the hook on me. Finally let it go. And I swear it wasn't, it wasn't five minutes. I dropped, places i was like oh man like what if, what if i what if i end up not making now and i just had you know i had that bite and, but it, it, i went a while and I, nothing changed and the score tracker was still the same so i felt really confident that i'd made it so i had a couple more bites after that that i didn't catch either but you know i was i was throwing at them i was definitely fishing around trying to get bites and place. looking you know i went up shallow i went up shallow looking for them on the bed also still you know, you hit it on the drop shot from a presentation standpoint. Is that, is that kind of a standard thing for you or was that something different for this time of year? Was that a tool? tool First, I've, ever caught on. I've, never thrown a, I've never thrown a drop shot this time of year. Unless they're on the bed and I throw a drop shot at spawning fish a lot. Um, but never, you know, never just fishing like that, you know, throw a shaky head a lot. But even then like this, if you'd have told me before this thing started, well, you're going to catch everything you weighed in. On a drop shot, I've been like, well, you mean you're talking about my bed fishing drop shot? I mean, that's honestly what I'd have thought because I, right. I never would have expected with the herring bite going on, you know, a potential buzz bait bite, you know, toad bite, all that kind of stuff I felt like was probably going to be a player here. I never would have expected to be, you know, fishing a drop shot out in eight and 10 foot of water. I mean, that was the last thing that I thought I'd be doing. Break down the setup for me as far as however much you're comfortable sharing on weight leader worm i think morning yeah, dawn, morning, morning sure. dawn was the deal again right that's the we've heard that yeah, a couple morning times dawn's about the only one you gotta have it's not <laughs> the only one you need anymore um but it was it was morning dawn it was just six inch right tail morning dawn um 10 pound i was throwing 10 pound gamma braid to uh i was using 12 pound gamma leader material which is a pretty hefty it's about like 14 pound test most fishing lines so, and I had it on a seven foot medium level spinning rod. So it's a pretty, you know, pretty strong spinning rod. Not a typical drop shot. And the reason I did that was because 
they were biting so good in practice. Man, I, I knew they weren't lying, Chad. The water wasn't super, super clear. And I just, catching the size fish that I was catching, I just wanted something that I knew I could drive and, and, and handle them when they got to the boat. And I have to be worried about, you know, finessing them too much and breaking fish <clears> off. So I swung quite a few four-pounders in um, on that setup. And you know, normally you're not going to be swinging four-pounders on a drop shot. But I went with a heavy hook. It was a four-off, you know, straight shank, you know, heavy, heavy hooks. That way I wasn't worried about bending the hook out. and wasn't worried about breaking the lines. So. It was it was fun. It wasn't your typical drop shot. Was your hook exposed like out the whole time, or more more Texas? No, no, I left it. You know, I left it Texas rig. Yeah, I left. No, I'd I'd leave the point in, like, because with that rod, with that little bit stiffer level rod, like I I knew I could drive the hook, and I just didn't want to. I never, I didn't want to ever risk if I ever did throw around something, whether it was a piece of brush or something. I just, I didn't want to risk getting hung. I I would leave that hook point buried in there pretty good. I would just make sure I laid the holes to them whenever I did get a bite. Um, <laughs> just to make sure I dry the bite. And I don't think I, I don't think I lost um, very many at all. I missed a couple. Um, I did miss a few that I just didn't have it. But I don't think I ever hooked one, had him on, and, and then him come off. And I think that's just the product of using that bigger hook and and that heavier line and just really, really driving, driving, driving home. Right. Were you set up? Was your leader? Were you fairly close to the bottom? Like those fish were relating to the bottom, or were you up? Or I, yeah, I, they were. They were. I, so I had it about ten inches. It was about the. I, I would just use my hand, like when I spread my pinky and my thumb out. It's right. about ten and a half inches from my pinky to my. And so that's that. I just kind of keep it around there, and I don't think it mattered too much because most of the bites, most of the bites came on that initial drop. I never really fished it much, and then would get a bite. Most of the time, I would throw out, and, and I'd see the fish streak up off the bottom, and he would meet it, and then I'd pick up on it, and he'd be there. Um, so it, it, I don't think that the leader size probably had too much to do with it. I mean, I, if, you probably, I'm not saying you couldn't have caught them on a shaky head. I never threw one out there. I'm sure right. some of them would have bit it the way they would come up off the bottom. I just never threw it. Like, I just I started with the drop shot and was getting bites on it. I just never really needed it. I needed to experiment with anything else. There you go, David. Spawn's happening in other places, and, and <laughs> I just picked his brain and got some juice out of there. So thanks for that, Anthony. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, to, to, to one thing I want to ask since we're, we're talking about the drop shot setup, um, are you picky when it comes to the weight? You know, are you looking, are you using just a quarter ounce? Let, yeah. I, l- yeah it was quarter ounce tungsten teardrop. It was tungsten, but no, I mean, I, I would not have been picky in these conditions. Like I said, the water is not clear like it normally is. I mean, you got three, four foot, maybe, visibility, but it was a brown tannic kind of color. It is even now. Normally, this lake's got a green tint to it, and it's extremely clear. But we had so much rain. The lake was down over the winter, 10 feet from a drawdown. And we had so much rain early in the year. It just, man, it brought so much. So much, you know, silt came in, and then the water came up really high really fast, and and I think that's what turned it that brown color more than anything. I think just all that flooded vegetation and old leaves, and it just had that pond water kind of look. Mm-hmm. It was just that dark tannic, almost like Florida water in a way. And so, yeah, I just they weren't real. They weren't real line shy. They weren't real spooky. And I think it was in large part just due to the water clarity. 
and just to kind of because you said that it seems like the fish are reacting on the initial drop so you're not sitting there shaking the rod or waiting for whatever you're it's just more of a you pitch it if they're not reacting are you reeling it back in and going back in with another cast then i would i would still fish it you know i would okay. i would still fish especially if i saw one come over to it you know if, if all the ones that bit it on that initial drop i would see them because i would always i would always make sure i was looking at my bait when i would throw it um but if i saw one if I saw one follow it down, which a lot of times that's what the stripers did, I'd fish it then. And and then some tie calls, I'm doing that. I did catch some. I think that it, it was he already had followed it down and bite it, and I I working it. And, and sometimes um, sometimes he'd bite it, sometimes wouldn't. But I I didn't I didn't work it all the way back to the boat. I didn't do that. Okay. I probably so, work it ten fifteen feet and try to bite, and I pick it up and throw it down again. Now, are you, since you're talking about the, only working a short area, I guess, are you seeing just in more individual fish, uh, bass or, yeah, largemouth in this case, or are you seeing a few fish and then you're, then that's the reason why you're at least working it back instead of just, you know, you know, just working just for a little bit and just reeling it back up and making that second cast or third cast again? Yeah, both. You know, sometimes I would see, I would see an individual fish sometimes, and, and a lot of times that would be a bass when he would be by himself. And then uh, most of the time it was a little group of fish and, and 90% of those were probably more than that are stripers. And so that, that's another reason why I didn't leave it out there very long. Cause there wasn't very many times where I wouldn't be panning around and see something. And so I would, you know, I was always trying to throw at a fish, um, knowing full well that most of them I was throwing at were stripers. But if, like I said before, if there was a bass mixed in with those stripers, he would be the one that would get you know, like stripers won't ever buy it. I've never in my life caught a striper on a drop shot here. Um, you could have thrown a jerk bait or a little swim, a single swim bait where I was fishing and you'd have caught a hundred stripers all day. I mean, it would have been stupid. You'd have never been able to bass fish for taking stripers off the hooks. So that was another thing. The drop shot was just, it, it just filtered all that out. I didn't have to worry about fooling around with the stripers. And if there was a bass there, I had a whole lot better chance to catch him by throwing something stripers wouldn't bite. Sorry, I was muted, but that's a huge nugget of wisdom there. Um, up here, it's we've got wipers and hybrids and a variety of things, and right. our bass right. mix in. But yeah, you you they at times it feels like they've ruined a spot because you can't get a bait where you need it, and you figured out a way to right. filter them out and just get what you needed. So that's cool. That's a that's a cool thing to think about. Did that yeah. six inch? Did that six inch worm also come? You know, because then a lot of times when people drop shy, they tend to go with slightly smaller baits or smaller size worms. Did that come into play too with trying to get that better quality or to? Uh, uh, I mean, maybe it's possible. If I'd have had an eight inch, and I'd have thrown an eight inch one out there where I was fishing, <laughs> like I, it definitely was not a. It was not a finesse. I mean, it was not a finesse type deal. I think that they would have bid a, a much larger bait. Okay, um, but it, it was big enough that. Like I, it, it was big enough that I knew that those bigger fish would definitely bite it. I don't know if I'd have caught as many if I'd have been throwing like a four and a half inch or something like that. Or you might have caught more, but I don't know that the size would have been the same. So it could have been, it could have played a small role. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't so, want to take take any way a thing from what had happened out there, but I mean, now you now I guess you can probably look outside and or have looked outside and seen elite series competitors running around, right? Yeah, yeah, I've I've been hearing them a little bit here, and I've seen a few come through the cove here. So, are they going to catch them this week? They, they go. 
Uh, yeah, they will. But I don't know that the weights will be quite as good as as when we were here. Just you had more pre-spawn fish that were caught. Um, but as far as like and the the weight distribution throughout the field is going to be really good, though. I mean, it's still you know seventeen pounds. Eh, I don't. I mean, they're cutting the you know they they cut the fifty, so it won't take quite that. But I think we were right there around that sixteen something range. Um, that it took to make so I mean yeah I mean it's, I bet it takes I bet it may take 16 it may take about the same way that it took to make our top 20 is to make their top 40 or 50 just because I think there's going to be a lot more of those herring fish a lot more of the schooling fish you got many more post spawners but I think a lot of those ones that we were catching you know those guys were catching those same herring fish they were four pounds now they're going to maybe be three and a half pounders and three and a quarter pounders out in there they're not going to weigh as much. They're going to be long for the most part, but it all depends. It just depends on if a bunch of fish, you know, there could be a bunch of good fish pull up another wave moving up to spawn and, and who knows, but it's regardless, it's going to be good. They're, they're going to catch them good. It'll be a good event for them. I think the guys, they'll have a lot of fun. They're going to be able to catch a lot of different ways. Just like we did probably even more so. Cause now you got fish garden fry. So all your buzz baits and frogs and that type of stuff is going to be even better than it was when we were here because those fish were just getting up to the bank at that point. So I think there'll be more ways to catch. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to seeing how some of these guys per lake and and figure something out because always somebody figures something out that the local guys don't. So I'm looking to see who who does that this week and, and what it is. So as a fish head that lives on a clear lake, and you mentioned you like sight fishing. How long do you feel like that process lasts on Lake Murray? I mean, you were seeing it going on there. Yeah. How how long are they up there? I mean, we'll, man, we'll spawn. I mean, I've seen them start in February here before for a warm winter. Actually, I I believe there probably was some, a few of them spawning this February, but the whole month of March, they were on the bed here. And so they'll, they'll be fish spawning on into April. I mean, on into May. I mean, there's always a few stragglers left over. And May, I've actually caught the bed here in June before. It was a long time ago, but I did catch one in June, first of June off the bed. It's two months. I mean, you can pretty much, you know, you can pretty much, there's a two every year where you can go out and, and catch some sight fish for sure. Do you feel like that's... Some, some, some years it starts a little bit sooner, some years a little bit later. For my area of the country, that seems like the long window. Um, is that consistent with other lakes around you is that what like you know we've got a lot of casual anglers that listen and we're trying to pick some nuggets, right. pick some nuggets out of your brain yeah there. i mean it could be i mean but i think that uh, down south I, I think that's not really an excessively long window it, it compared to up north it is because every your season's condensed up there right. i think that's what so everything happens a lot faster so yeah i mean florida for example you could you could catch one off the bed at Lake Okeechobee. You could probably I'm sure there's some people down there that have caught one all 12 months of the year off the bed. I mean, there, there's a chance to see one on the bed at any month you go down there. So I think as you start to work up north a little bit, then um, the season just really starts to get you know it starts to get a little bit shorter. Um, but I I'd say two months is probably I mean, that's probably close to normal for the lakes around here. Then the farther north you go, I think, you know, it just it kind of starts to squeeze together a little bit. Yeah, I do. I think we get condensed a little bit. Things got to happen a little quicker because we don't have the weather as long. And, you know, the right. other, it's probably right. a testi- testament to your fisheries, too, that you've got that many bass, right? Like there's that many right. year, year classes and groups and, and bass at different depths that respond different. And um, we, don't right. have that, we don't have that luxury yeah. here. 
<laughs> they can all come right. to the bank at the same time and there's still bank left for them. Right, right. Well, I know Very well would be. David, David's got more on the event part, but I appreciate that. And I think our listeners do too. Thank you. Well, I just want to, since we were talking about the elite guys, I just want to ask one question about that too. Cause you know, going back to your pattern, is that something that you could think that could still be duplicated for this upcoming event uh, for the elite guys? And, and it's, is it a pattern that you think that would possibly produce a winning, uh, without you being out there, but would it be, it will produce a winning bag probably doing what you were doing? Uh, right. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think it. I think it would have potential to work again. It, it definitely. It, it was too consistent over the course of seven days. Down our two days of practice, and then you know, our tournaments last actually the last six days, I guess, from first day to the championship day. So, it, I mean, it was definitely a consistent bite. So, obviously, I think that you could probably still. I mean, you could still go out there and do that. And that may be the case that. It maybe maybe most of those fish I was catching were pre-spawn fish, and, and if that's the case, then there wouldn't there definitely wouldn't be as many out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know; it's hard to say. I mean, I, I would feel I would feel like you'd be able to catch some fish doing that. Um, whether or not you could win, I mean, who knows? When when you talk about winning one of these, it always comes down to you know a couple fish. You know, you take a, take away that eight pounder and take away the five twelve I caught that day, then I finished fourth or something like that. Who knows where I finished? Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, it just it just depends. Talking about these better uh, quality bags, I guess. Looking at the uh, is it the knockout round and the championship round, your bags the weights got better, especially on that championship day. Any anything that was different, whether it's whether it's more better quality fishes in general, or your different areas, or what happened? Yeah, was there anything different that you did uh, for the knockout round and the championship round? I, well, for the, yeah, I stuck, I did that all day. Like on the, on the, um, championship round, I started out doing that and finished doing it. That's all, that's all I did. All those other days, I would spend the morning, I'd spend the first hour, hour and a half, you know, chasing those shallow herring fish. And then I'd also spend a, a couple hours fishing. And so at the end of the day, I may be only dedicated my day to, you know, fishing the drop shot like I was doing. So, the final day, I spent all seven and a half hours doing that. Never did anything else. Now, I did pop in. You probably, I mean, you saw me pop into a pocket every once in a while. I had a pretty good bag just to see if I couldn't get lucky and find a big one in the bed. But I bet that only lasted probably 20, 30 minutes of my whole day. So at least seven hours of the seven and a half we had, I spent doing that. I guess that's part of the reason. I just I spent more time doing it, and, and I was able to put it in front of a couple, you know, quality fish and get them to buy it. I think if I'd have spent that amount of time on those every day, I think I'd have had more weight on those first few days too. Yeah. Six day strategy. That's, that's something that our listeners, (laughs) that's hard to wrap your head around having to conserve them for that long and make it work. Right. Yeah. And that helped. It definitely helped that. I just, I felt like I had, I had a lot of different areas that I knew were similar to that, that I could, said before i could i could run new water each day and um i did catch that 512 on the last day on a on a stretch of bank that i heard this stretch of what bank but it was a couple points in a row that i had fished the day before that and caught a couple and so that was really the only one that i think i weighed uh in the event that I, where i had gone back to where i'd fished, you know a day prior and and then catch a, a good one 
So I, I just helped. It just helped knowing the lake. You know, being familiar with the lake, I think, helped me in that regard, just having confidence to go to a new area and, and fish it the same as I had been where, you know, a lot of the other guys that would have had, you have a hard time doing that if, if you're not confident in an area. So even though I fished some areas that I didn't even fish in practice, I just knew them to be good areas. At least, you know, there were good areas in the past. So when I pull up there, I'm fishing them with confidence just because I, I, I've been there before and I've fished there before. So that, that that's one advantage. Not that I had places that I knew were going to be good when it started, but just being confident it, with the whole lake in general, I think helps you. And, and that's one of the things that I think has helped me here in the tournaments that I've won is just there's a there's something to be said just for a comfort level that you develop on the lake. Well, if you really know it that well, that's a different story. But just being comfortable on the lake helps you make decisions, and it just it helps the whole process. So I think you know being comfortable actually. I mean, it does almost just as much good as as having a good background of of actually knowing spots. Mm-hmm. I agree with that one thousand percent. And for our listeners, Anthony, for people maybe that don't know your history, uh, humorous with your first tournament memory on Lake Murray. I'm going to guess you were just a pup. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was probably, I might've been, I don't know, eight, eight or 10 years old and, um, had just gotten, well, I'd been bass fishing for a while, but we had a weekend house here on, on Lake Murray. I lived in the upstate South Carolina and Gavin, but we had a little weekend cabin down here. And so I told my dad, like, I want to fish a tournament. So we'd never, he'd never fish before at that time he'd, he'd bass fish a little bit but not, nothing to nothing like what what we consider bass fishing nowadays and so we got in a little i think it was a father-son tournament or, or whatever it was and caught one I, I think i caught one it was a good it was like a three pounder but it was the only fish we had that day and and so i go to weigh him in so i just i grabbed the fish out of the live well just walk up to the i walk up from the boat up to the scales and i remember a guy he he kind of you know nodded his head to come over he said here take one of these and so he gave me a weigh-in bag. Like I didn't even know. I didn't even know you're supposed to put them in a weigh-in bag that way back then. So he showed me what to do, and so I weighed my one fish in and um, went went home with my tail between my legs. But that was the that was the very first tournament that I fished. I remember catching. I caught one, and I caught him on a floating pile. I remember what I caught him on too. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear, man. And and <laughs> and now look, you know, think about the the totals and all that stuff. So that's that's right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and honestly, I expected you to say your dad was a junkie and that he, he, you finally got big enough to go with him, but you actually drugged your father out to a bass tournament. I drugged him into it. Yeah. Uh, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Now, he, he was a fisherman, but I, I, I drug him into bass fishing for sure. Makes me think of all these high school students that I see dragging their dads out, trying to wrap their head around what, <laughs> right. these, boys, what these boys are gotten yeah. themselves into, but and- I know, and a lot of those dads don't even, they've never even fished before, so at least my dad had some fishing background, but right. yeah, a lot of these new dads, a lot of these dads, like, they have no idea. Well, that's why I wanted to get the story, because hopefully some of those dads are listening, and they're thinking, man, one day my kid, <laughs> one day my kid might win, you know, what, that's three, right. quarter, three quarters of a million dollars plus at home? That'd be great. Right. <laughs> yeah, you never know. That's right. <laughs> You, you got to start early though. And that that's it. And I think that that really hit on it. You know, you talk about being comfortable. If you can remember the first fish you caught on a body of water at 10, um, 
you've obviously obviously had a lot of good memories there, so that puts a guy at ease for sure. Oh yeah, well that was my first fish. That was my first tournament fish. That's right. Um, That's right. I don't I don't know if I can remember my first fish. I doubt I can do. I, I, I do have. I remember the first flipping fish that I ever caught, and I was probably I was probably six or seven, and and I remember that because we had it was on my dad had it on video, and I don't think that I'd ever allowed to be seen because it, it'd pretty be pretty embarrassing, but. Um, I Man, know there's a bunch of people that get a kick out of it. Oh, I, if would... you could, if you could find a VHS player at this point. <laughs> hey, if you want to send the tape, we'll digitize it because I'm working. <laughs> I'm working on a Throwback Thursday program for AnglersChannel.com. Well, and I think that I'll, see, I'll see. I'll see if I can track video. it down. <laughs> hey, you know John; he's not far from you, and and I bet we could figure this out if right. you're willing to share. Uh, it could be brought to you. By, it could be brought to you by Level Rods, right? Right. That's right. <laughs> There you go. So we got to play. Right. All right, David, oh, I'm, do I'm, done, I'm done digging on him, but man, <laughs> thanks for all the nuggets. I love it. Thank you very much. So Anthony, uh, we got about from what, this time when we were recording a little over a month before, a little about, yeah, about a month before your next yeah, we got about on, a month. Well, on Gunnersville. What's your thoughts on Gunnersville and the Northern swing on the rest of the schedule? Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to get north. I love, I love catching smallmouth, man. I, I love it to death. Um, now Gunnersville is going to be a good one. It's another one. I'm a little bit, I'm worried about that one a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous about that one. I, I've got to where I don't really enjoy ledge tournaments anymore. Hmm. Um, and that'll be one where there's going to be some fish out deep, but it, it's early enough still being in May that I think you can still catch some fish shallow. So I, it may be one that I just decided to commit shallow and practice shallow for two days and and just roll the dice and do that but uh, i just man i just i don't know i just i used to really like fishing off i like catching them offshore but i have a harder time finding them nowadays with i can't it's hard for me to find stuff that i feel like i can find for myself you know with the with the mapping and everything we have now it's just hard to locate stuff that you have to yourself so it's just gotten hard it's gotten hard to compete out there deep and so I think I'm going to try to I'm going to try to put some kind of shallow pattern together, whether it's brim bedfish or you know just just something. There'll be some frog, there'll be some flipping fish, I'm sure, some grass. That now that's a five fish limit, you don't have to get out there on the shoal and, and catch one every cast, you know, for two hours. So you can compete up there shallow. I think. Do you think that changing the format, like you mentioned, with the the, the change from uh, to the five scoreable fish or best five versus the every scoreable fish in the past, is that is that going to help you just uh, performance wise in general, or or did it not matter? Yeah, I mean, I think it will. As far as um, you know, I thought a lot about it back when they put it up for vote last year, and you know, I really at the time, you know, once we started this format when I started fishing here, it was first time, and and I kind of felt like you know after you know three four years into it, like I probably stood just as good a chance to. You know, to make the knockout round, to make a check, like a quote unquote, make a check. Like I think it was just as easy for me to make a check, and everything counts format versus the five fish. I would, I would have always said I think I'd be better off and have a better chance to win under five fish versus. As far as winning, I definitely think that like it would, it would help in that regard. You know, it would help. I'd have a better shot to win with five fish. But as far as just like cashing checks and and doing well, it's probably one versus the other about the same i mean i could look back and there were some tournaments like just last year for example um cayuga i still did okay there i think out of one cayuga 
with a five fish limit, I honestly do. I'd have been I'd have been way up there because I was catching giants. I just wasn't catching enough to be able to keep pace with those guys that were catching so many three pounders. But like that's like the final day, I had twenty six pin maybe smallmouth. I can't remember what it was. Something like that. it was twenty six something. But I don't know. I mean, it's just I think we, it's just fishing. At the end of the day, it's just fishing, and and you'll you'll adjust the format pretty quick, but. I, I think that it's probably I'm better. Obviously, I'm better suited to the five fish limit as far as winning. There were three, we're three tournaments in, and I've won one. So my track record is better there than it was, you know, those four previous years. But I enjoyed the other format. I did, I did enjoy it. Um, but it was, it's more stressful. There's no doubt that it's more stressful. The five fish gives you a chance to relax, and if you have a good day, you can kind of put it on cruise control. You can practice a little bit. Whereas before, you weren't afforded that opportunity, except on your day of competition. You know, when you saw the cut line coming up, so the whole first day it was pedal to the metal all day, and you, you couldn't let up. But now, now you can. You know, if you get on a little something, you can kind of back off a little bit and conserve, manage fish, and just bring a whole nother you know strategy game into it. You know, both both of the formats have their own you know, variations that you have to you know you have to strategize with. And now we're just facing with a different. You have to manage fish now, where before you didn't manage them, you catch them. All right. Well, thanks again, Anthony. I know we we took uh, a little bit, probably a little bit longer than you probably were expecting, but thank you so much for just joining us on the English Channel Insider podcast. Uh, congratulations again on the win. I know that you know it was something that's been a while too. I know the wins in the top level fishing yeah. don't come yep. very easily, but thanks for joining us. Congratulations on the win. Yep. Enjoy the time at home. I know it's it's, it's, it's very rarely that you guys get chance uh, for an extended stay at home, but definitely enjoy that time and good luck in Gunnersville and the rest of the Bass Pro Tour season. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. On behalf of all the anglers you taught today, thanks, Anthony. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, there you have it, folks. The latest winner of the Bass Pro Tour on Lake Murray, that's Anthony Gagliardi. Danny, were you surprised at all that Anthony was able to pull off another win on his home lake? Because it's, you know, you know, it's something that, you know, a lot of guys are favored, but were you surprised that he ended up taking the W there? I don't know. I mean, I think that he hit on the biggest factor and it's comfort, right? And I think mm-hmm. a comfortable, I think a comfortable guy makes good decisions. And uh I, I think somewhere I saw a stat not that long ago that the home lake curse really is starting to kind of not look like so much of a curse. <laughs> I think if we look statistically, I think there's been several people that call it home that's gotten it done in more recent history. So that may be a testament to the guys getting better at managing the pressure. Um, or, you know, maybe it was just bad things happened to home lake people before, but. I mean, I know personally, I would rather fish at home than somewhere else just because you feel comfortable. Um, sure. But I, I can also see where I think he hit on a good point that each event he's had to do something different. So it's not like he's got, you know, some sweet spot that nobody knows about. I mean, I think yeah. most of those sweet spots that nobody knows about with live coverage and like he said, with mapping and electronics, I'm not sure that there's any secret holes or secret places out there anymore. So it's got to be about technique and tactics. Yeah. To me, I thought it was a bit of a surprise again, uh, only because not, not that he wouldn't have done well, but in terms of taking the win only because, um, you know, when you compare it to like, 
the the local food jar or even a Toyota series where um the, there's a lot more local knowledge but a lot of these guys when it comes to this level like like Anthony mentioned there's a off no no a no limits period right. and then I don't know if it's if it goes I don't know if bad with basketball tour if it's one of those you know you have if it's six months before or something like that when, when they're off right. when they're official off no 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 yeah off limits no information rule actually kicks in um but you know a lot of that comes into play whereas a lot of the other uh, levels you can you know it could be like i know what the opens i think it's now it's i think about a month before you can fish all the way up to up until the event or official practice and stuff like that so right. um so the 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 local guys winning on a, on a lower tier um was a lot easier versus a lot of these guys were with the elites or the bass pro tour um you're so far out that again you know, yeah home well previous knowledge may come into play but um it's not a it's not gonna you know it's not like what well, like what anthony said it's not a it might not be as useful depending on the time of year and the conditions that you're facing. So, right. Yeah. And that'd be tough to be at home and not be able to talk to your fishing buddies, not be able to swing by the ramp and see who did what at a weeknight jackpot or whatever, you know, to, to yeah. basically have to put yourself in, it's kind of like 2020, right? He had to quarantine and it with his own pod that wouldn't talk fishing <laughs> and uh, that'd be a tough deal for sure. Yeah, you know, but um, no, congrats to him and and yep. to have that kind of domination. I, I, did, I did not do my homework to find out how many people have won that kind of money on a particular body of water, but I bet you statistically he's up there uh, in terms of three major victories at home. And you know, when we were talking to him, he said, "I'm I'm watching. I can hear him running." Right. I, yeah. I live on the water. I know what it sounds like when a 250 is <laughs> ripping by. And uh, and he said, I've seen a few guys in the cove. So, I mean, that's that's intimate knowledge yeah. of what's going on. That's that's microclimate. That's everything that happens with the weather and strange things that might happen in the lake. Uh, th those are all things that can get factored in. And, yeah. uh, you know, but he went out there and did it with a drop shot. And the, the thing I wonder about that is, is that. You know, we talked to Joey Fuentes earlier in the year, and it was mm -hmm. the exact same thing. He <laughs> knew there were fish up spawning. He knew there were guys that were going to crack on some big ones shallow, but he picked this transitional area out a little deeper, and he just chose not to go do that, right? And it, and it yeah. paid off. And and really, Anthony did the exact same thing. You know, yeah. he was he was a little shallower. I think he said eight to ten, where a lot of what Joey was doing was in twenty, but the technique and the fish that they targeted were different. Yep. And I think some of that is a testament to electronics because yeah. I've been, I've been at this for a while and 20 years ago when you couldn't do that, if it was March, April, or May, and you were in a major event, the trolling motor was maxed out. You were covering water and you were looking for them, Yeah, you know, and now there's this whole category of, well, I don't have to do that. And, um, you know, it's interesting. There's the nugget and we've talked about it before, you know, you and I always talk about this and that's another example of, of using the technology to kind of buck the trend or the traditional thinking. Yeah. Um, how long will it last? I don't know, but yeah. it keeps showing up. Uh, and you can, like, like you kind of mentioned too, like I, when I asked about, you know, some of the big tournaments coming around to the events, uh, to, to a local, or in this case is home lake, but um, it takes a, you know, a lot of times when, when guys that are besides technology, but when, when guys that are outside come in, they bring a different train of thought, you know, mm -hmm. too. So um that and combine that with technology i think it's gonna you know i know there's a lot like we mentioned this i think a few we talked about this maybe a few weeks back but even with it's technology it's one of those things where i think especially if you're trying to do 
be competitive, if not be successful as a tournament angler, you you almost have to be, you know, it has to be almost natural in some way. You have to kind of, yeah, and, and, and you have to be comfortable with it. I mean, because yep. you're going to be competing against people who are. Yeah. And, and we saw a period of time where guys like Martins and some of those guys, they were able to use electronics better than other people. And that, mm -hmm. plat that platform was so basic compared to what is available now. Yep. You know, in terms of, I mean, the user interfaces, what you're seeing, you know, if you've got a good, clear connection and you spend some time with it, you can understand it. And yep. uh, I don't know, it's here to stay, whether we like it or we don't, it's here to stay. Yep. And, you know, props to him on using it and knowing it's a tool. And, you know, he did say that he, occasionally he would break from what he was doing and go looking, but then he would always come back. And yep. so, you know, impressive win. And, and I, I dig the fact that it was done a, you know, a different way. Like you said, he's won three and they've all taken different things. So yep. it's not a, it's not a, a secret spot or, or some intimate knowledge. It's a comfort level and, and uh, a mindset. We've talked about that a bunch. I always get into the mindset <laughs> of it, yep. you know. He was comfortable and he made it happen. So yeah. props to him. All right. And then with that point there, we're going to take a short break. It's time for me and Danny to uh, check out a different waypoint here. And so just stay tuned. Oh, hold on tight. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors here. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, and lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmanswarehouse.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse. Shop one of over 60 locations. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man. Join the Stray King team. All you got to do, tie one on. <laughs> I think I always tie one on. From dawn to midday to dusk, the sun's rays dance across the water and the sparkling light beckons. The abundant shorelines invite you to play or sail or simply behold. This is where champions fish and families gather to unwind. It's Lake Hartwell and Anderson is the gateway to its wonders. Walk on a pier, float all day, and restore your soul in this beautiful oasis. Visit Anderson, South Carolina's bright spot. Discover more at visitanderson.com and visitlakehartwell.com. Welcome to this segment of the show brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse. Make sure you check out the spring sale that is happening now in store. Whether you're looking for new apparel, grills, or my favorite, stocking up on, no, uh, on more fishing tackle, they got something for everyone. And if you don't have a Sportsman's Warehouse close by, the sale is also available online. So make sure you either stop at your local Sportsman's Warehouse or sportsmans.com and start saving right now. So just a few results from this past weekend. Uh, first one up is the Bassmaster Central Opens that took place on Toledo Bend. And winning that wire-to-wire, -wire, uh, I guess in a way quite impressively, was Ben Milliken with 77 pounds and 14 ounces. 
The Alabama Bass Trail, uh, those anglers were on Neely Henry, and winning that with 22-19 was the team of Benji and Jonathan Seaborn. Uh, the MLF BFL Gator Division, they, those anglers were fishing the Harris Chain and winning that with a, I guess you could say a pretty impressive 25 pounds and 4 ounces, was Ben Harris. The Angler's Choice Team Tournament Trail Virginia Division, those guys were out on Kerr Lake and the team of Chad and Elliot Pilsen caught 1861 for the win there. And then last one on the list is the Alabama Bass Nation uh, was won by Kobe Carden with 2274, and that event took place on Lay Lake. Coming Kobe up, Carden's done that before. Sorry to interrupt, but Kobe, oh, Carden, Kobe Carden has won that Bass Nation before, I think, out of Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. I think I've heard yeah. that before. Yeah, I, I don't know if he still fishes Alabama Bass Trail, uh, but I know he's a uh, he's got. I guess you could say he's one of those local sticks in Alabama that, that tends to do pretty well. I think almost regardless of where you fish in, in Alabama. So mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta yes. give him a shout out as a regional guy. He's not local. He's, he's got the oh. whole region. So <laughs> anyway, sorry to, inter- sorry to nope. interrupt your flow. But when I heard that nope. name, I'm like, man, that, that guy catches him. I've heard yep. him before. His name does come up quite often when it comes, especially when it comes to tournaments in Alabama. <laughs> right. That's good. Sorry. No, no. So uh, on the schedule for this coming week, we've got the Texas Team Trail event on Ray Roberts. The Georgia Bass Trail North Division will be on Okani. The Best Bass Tournament SoCal Region will be on Castaic Lake. Giving some of the kayak guys some love here, the KBF Trail Series, those anglers will be fishing on Grand Lake. That's Grand Lake of the Cherokees. And then final event I've got is the ABA AFT D9 Pennsylvania. A division those anglers will be fishing the northeast river uh, and if you don't hear or if you if you have any upcoming calendars because i don't know when some of you guys will we're, we're approaching the end of spring summer so if you've got summer schedules that haven't been posted yet or got your fall calendars in the works make sure you shoot them to me at dshong that's d-x-i-o-n-g at englishchannel.com and i'll make sure i get those up here um earlier got, and I, i'm gonna add one real quick the deer creek bass trails this weekend david before we go on there oh, yeah. we always we always talk about fishing yeah. where i'm at and and uh holly and i have a deer creek bass trail this weekend so i look forward to talking to you about what uh <laughs> what the results are of an ohio okay. river tournament for perspective next week so, so is it gonna be and i think last time we i think me, me and you were talking off the air is it going to be a team team event for you, or is it? Are you going to pull a solo trip this? On, no, this team, team event. Uh, I fish. I only fish solo on the weeknight deals. Uh, on the weekends, uh, Miss Holly goes with me, so this will okay. be a husband and wife deal. I just and didn't know if she was like you know because it might be fishing tough. I you, you, no, you got it on it, your own. So it's supposed to be fishing tough, and the weather's <laughs> supposed to be terrible. And we've already had our pre-tournament powwow, and okay. uh, she's got her head right. She's ready to go, and we're just going to go grind on them. We both wish <laughs> we were fishing today because it's gorgeous, and Sunday <laughs> will not be gorgeous. But, you know, we're going to go out and see what we can do. Right. You're, you're going to be shocked as we spend the summer together, and I start sharing <laughs> some of the tournament weights. And, and I think then you're going to realize this dude must really love fishing because it can't be about catching <laughs> because we don't catch them. You know, and that's just where we live. We fish hard. We just don't catch them. So uh, I look forward to it. And uh, I am going to try to get get hooked up with you and get some of the Deer Creek Bass Trust stuff on there, because I think that it would be good for the other parts of the country to see uh, that there's guys out there that fish and compete and do their thing. And they are thrilled with eight pounds. (laughs) So 
It won't be an eight pound weekend this weekend. This weekend will be one of the more impressive weights. Okay. Uh, but we'll get into a scenario where we'd be tickled with eight pounds. So, <laughs> well, you never know. It, you know, that's I guess that's the thing with fishing is, does it matter how old, how you know, how knowledgeable you are? It, it, no, it could be anyone's day. So <laughs> it can be anyone's day, and that's especially true on tough fisheries, right? It's one one bite changes the whole makeup of everything. But yeah. I don't know. I just I only reason I bring it up it's it's a testament to the love of bass fishing and that competitive environment, right? It's mm -hmm. not about, like you mentioned a Harris chain tournament, it took 25 and some of these other tournaments, like, yeah, anybody could get excited about going out and catching four and five pounders. Um, but you get into a different kind of passion when it's, uh, you know, oh man, that one's 11 and three quarters. We just need to find a little bigger one. Right. <laughs> so I'm that guy <laughs> and proud of it, man. And proud of it. So anyway, I love the local stuff that we do on anglerschannel.com. I encourage everybody to reach out to you, get that stuff posted and, and let us show them some love for what they do at the local level as well. Right. Like we, uh, we spend a lot of time talking to pros and trying to pick their brain and teach them stuff. But at the end of the day, we want to celebrate that grassroots angler yep. as well. And, yep. uh, you do a great job of getting their tournaments, getting their results and, and even spreading some love around with, uh, winter pictures. I'm assuming if they send you pictures, they've got a better yeah. chance of getting them up than not yeah. sending you pictures. Right. Like I always tell them, you know, I've said before in the past, I don't care. It could be off your phone. Just give me a quick picture of who won and the winning weight. You know, if it could be something as simple as that, I'll make sure we get it on. Cause again, we're, we're all about sharing love. It doesn't matter. You know, we, again, you mentioned we, we like seeing the, the top level guys winning, hearing from them, but we definitely want to uh, hear about the local guys and, and how they did as well. So yep, yep. absolutely. Well, I hope to send you a fish picture one day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> All right. Well, to wrap that part, before we end up wrapping up the show here, uh, lately I've been trying to bring up something here, and uh, this relates to one of the events I covered here. So uh, we talked about the uh, winner of the Bassmaster Central Opens, which was Ben Milliken, which mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, well, not a lot, but I guess people that know of Ben, Probably will be will probably associate him with being a quote unquote YouTuber, an influencer. Um, and my question to you, uh, Danny, is: Will Ben winning? I'm not saying it, it completely changes, but will this change how a lot of fans see anglers that become popular outside of the traditional ways that most fishing gain popularity, whether it's through tournaments or TV shows? Will this? Will Ben winning? Will that? Do you think that will change? a good amount of people with how they see those type of guys like Ben and some of the other YouTubers that are out there. Yeah, no, I get the question and I've been, I've been thinking it on it myself a lot too. And, um, I guess it depends on how you define a, a, a YouTuber, um, mm -hmm. because there's right. I mean, we're in the business of content and there's, mm -hmm. there's silly content, there's funny content that gets views and that gets eyeballs and that kind of thing. And then there's instructional and informational and, and, mm -hmm. uh, when we posted stuff on Ben's success day to day on anglerschannel.com, the number of impressions we were generating on the back end was, it was mind boggling. Yep. And, and so John reaches out and he's like, dude, did you see what's happening? And I said, well, it's, it's tied to Ben as a personality. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I, you know, I knew who he was. I knew he was a big deal on the YouTube world, but I hadn't gone and checked out his stuff. Right. Yeah. Over half a million subscribers. Mm -hmm. Half a million people think what he's he does is interesting. Mm -hmm. As a guy who's been involved with brands and things like that, like that's a massive audience. Yeah. 
that, you know, his audience with a video post can do more than an outdoor television program with three airings at poor time slots. Mm -hmm. And he can do it with one post. Yeah. So I think he has something that is unique to him because I, I don't hold what he does and what other YouTubers do in the same class. Sure. Um, I think what, I think he went out and validated everything about his knowledge and the information that he provides. He shows that it's tournament level, first class knowledge. Yeah. Um, I, if you went and watched a whole bunch of YouTubers, I think that the list of how many of them gave you that kind of content and had that kind of ability would be pretty short. Sure. Now, I will say that if you can fish like that and do what he's doing with social, um, you could become the King Kong. Yeah. Right. So I'm anxious to see what he does. I've never, you know, shame on me. I've got to watch some of his videos to get more to get more in tune with the personality aspect of it. But um, I think what he's doing is cool. I hope that we can find an opportunity to talk to him, to learn a little bit more about, you know, the, the what and the why. Um, I dig it that he fished in a shirt with his hometown area code on it for three days. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It, it, we might be seeing somebody doing things a little different. And I, I'm always a big fan of that. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not as tired. It's not as boring. And um, the sport needs it. There's always we periodically we get a, a figure that rises up that brings some whether it's controversy or notoriety or whatever it is. It brings awareness. Yeah. And if he's got a half million people. The, the interesting thing I saw was a lot of his audience is not tournament fishermen. They no. don't, they would have no interest in what you and I do or what, what we get geeked out on. They just like fishing. Yep. And so if he's bringing a half a million fishing fans to uh, get engaged in Bassmasters content and they think, wow, this tournament thing is cool. Well, then we all owe him a pat on the back. I mean, a yep. bringing a half million people to our audience in our space, that helps you know, that's job security for me and you, man, we need another <laughs> half. If they would all come listen to the Anguish channel podcast, it'd be mind blowing. Right. So uh, I'm all for it. I, I would love to talk to the guy at some point yep. and learn more about it, but I think there's definitely a story there. And um, you know, and, and I know you probably know more because I, I hear that he's into big glide baits and, and things <laughs> like that, that fall more in your wheelhouse. Right. I, I don't do that. So I was, I was not aware. How aware of him were you? Uh, so I'm kind of, I guess you could say semi old school when I say that, because you know, when I say that is that obviously this question, you know, it looks at a lot of the, the old school people where um, a, a lot of how they view to anglers, especially the credibility of anglers is based on tournaments or if they are, are if they're on TV, whether it's a local TV show to something that's more on a national level in some sort. But um, so I, I, I've been aware, I've seen some of this stuff. I, Shame on me because the fact that again I, I'm not when I'm on YouTube the few I, I try not to watch not that I don't want to watch fishing stuff but it's one of those things where I'm watching stuff that I don't normally watch you know I'm I'm watching fishing stuff on TV stuff like that so it's not that I'm not I don't digest it but right. it's one of you very few I guess media outlets where I'm also digesting other stuff that I I normally don't get to see on TV or or through other means I digest whatever it is I I digest it but. Um, I know that again, you know, to kind of keep it simple, because like you mentioned earlier, uh, about defining a YouTuber, because again, a lot of people just automatically, def you know, just group these guys into a more gen general categorization instead of, you know, say, well, hey, again, you know, Ben is more of a educational guy, whereas mm -hmm. you know, you got the guys that 
uh, more antic, you know, they're antic based or whatever the case may be. But, um, but one thing I well, I guess looking at even how you, you talked about the, the amount of viewers that Ben's bringing in, it's kind of like flip flop as well. Cause it seems like even the, the traditional tournament angler, it's all about social. These guys, a lot of guys have to develop that, especially with YouTube now. So you see so many guys, even, um, even though I guess you could say the old school guys are uh, the old school anglers are a lot more uh, worse at, uh, at maintaining something like that, but it, it kind of goes, it's almost like, you know, Ben's doing it the opposite way. And the other, the, then the anglers are doing it, you know, I guess you could say flip-flop or whatever the case may be, but mm-hmm. you know, each one's mimicking each other. It's just in a different, uh, different step or method or, you know, the steps that they take to get there. But um, no, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the one big challenge there, in my experience, I've run a lot of television advertising and and the television audience. And, you know, prior to coming on air, we were talking about Kelly Jordan winning. And I said, Mm -hmm. man, that's awesome. And I'm glad Kelly won. And he's a good dude. He's been at it forever. All those things. Um, Kelly probably or a guy like Kelly from that genre of fishing, the guys that I'm, you know, that I grew up idolizing. Yep. um, The guys that idolize them, they're my age or older. And they're not active on YouTube and things like that, right? So the the older personalities that I grew up idolizing, um, they're idolized by people who aren't tech savvy as much. So I think when you see a guy like Ben build a a half a million audience, you know that it's not dudes like me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that he's capturing a segment of the audience that we wouldn't capture otherwise. And that's what excites me because... The tech savvy guys, there's there's a lot of tech savvy young fans of fishing that probably don't know a lot about what Kelly's done over the years, about his yep. role in the Toyota Texas Bass Classic. And, and honestly, Kelly had a role in, in his vision and Dan Freakin and the guys at Toyota. What they did with Texas Parks and Wildlife was the um, the earliest iteration of Catchway release. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's all going to be lost on an entire generation of people because it, I guess it's irrelevant to, to them in that regard. But I, I think it's somebody like, you know, I got my jig fishing basics book autographed by Denny Brower and Tommy Biffle. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sits on my bookshelf. And those guys, as great as they are, the people that love them, there might be a half a million people that love them. But yep. those half a million people are not actively subscribing to YouTube and looking for their content. Yeah. Right. But, but there's a book on my shelf that I'm proud of that they signed when I was yep. a kid. Yep. So there, there's a disconnect there between audience age and platforms. I think that um, a guy like Ben is capturing. He's yep. capturing fishing enthusiasts that don't necessarily resonate with the guys that we know or the guys that we grew up watching or idolizing. Yep. But yeah, to add to that too, I think with um, what was that? Uh, with how the, the I think with what Ben does, especially with with YouTube, uh, it, the demographic gaps is probably a lot bigger because he, he he's obviously going to reach out to those to the to the younger generations those demographics. But again, a, a lot of obviously a lot of old people, older elderly people are on YouTube, you know, and and they may find uh, what he does pretty. Um, pretty useful knowledge and entertaining as well too. So whereas in the old school way, I'm not saying anything bad, but like you mentioned, having that book, um, unless you have a book that that particular book, a lot of those young people might not be like, uh, well, unless it's 
you know, scanned and put on some electronic. <laughs> Digitized. Yeah. yeah. Then these guys, you know, a lot of people are not going to be able to access some of that, that knowledge. So, um, right. So that, that, that's the, I think that that's where, um, you know, cause we always tell with the, the, was it the, the, the saying of growing the sport, you know, and, and when I say growing the sport, I'm talking about the, we're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm referring towards uh, tournament fishing. Cause that's, I, guess I look at that. That's more the sporty side. Whereas the, the activity of fishing, um, you know, that that's, not that it's not sporting, but it's, you know, there's no competition. Yep. Yeah. That's what I was going to go I got you. That, so. I got you. But um, yeah, you know, uh, I could, uh, what Ben is doing is definitely exposing it uh, to a lot more people that might, help grow the sports side of bass fishing more too, as, as he kind of um, documents his, uh, his journey and his path uh, on the opens uh, trying to qualify for the elites here. So, but we'll see how it goes. Cause again, if he's able to do that, you know, um, you know, get people to buy, you know, stuff that he uses and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then also get them to start being aware of the, of tournament fishing out there. Uh, that's out there. It's going to, uh, it's going to hopefully help spread more awareness to what we do. And like you said, better job security. <laughs> right. Well, it'll, it'll hook some kids, right? I mean, out of yeah. half a million, if it gets 1%, that's 50 kids. Yep. Right. Yep. So that's great. And, and, uh, and that's a, I think that's a pretty good amount looking at how, how niche bass fishing is, you know, yeah. in terms of, so this yeah. one's getting long in the tooth, but one day I would love to talk about growing the sport. <laughs> because I think that is one of the most overused misnomers in the whole space. And in my experience, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox real quick. Let me pull it up. Here. Oh, sure. Good. It's, it's going to be a quick one. The leagues, with the exception of college and high school fishing, have done nothing to grow the sport, in my opinion. They have always been fighting over the same pie and changing mm-hmm. the allocation of the pie. Now, with that said, the Association of Collegiate Anglers and Bass's college program and MLF's college program that then grew into high school things, that grew our base. We, mm-hmm. we reach children, you know, and Anthony talked about it on our call. You know, yeah. some of these, there's, there's kids out there, and I've witnessed it so many times, that have a passion for fishing and mom and dad know nothing about it. They have no desire to, to really participate. But they look at their kid, they look at the situation the world's in, and they say, this is a healthy thing for the kid to do. Maybe we should get a boat. Maybe we should foster our kid's thing. Maybe it's a phase, but maybe he'll be the next Anthony Gagliardi, right? And so the only thing I've seen in 25 years in the industry that has actually grown anything is collegiate and high school fishing. And I'm, I'm passionate about it. It changed my life before college fishing was ever organized. And so when I hear growing the sport, my mind always goes to that because you hear the big organizations talk about it. I mean, I had a role at one point in my career where I came out and argued that as a third entity, we were growing the sport. But the reality was, is we weren't growing crap. We were just dividing up the same pie. Yeah. And so props to all the people and all the sponsors and all the companies that have gotten behind getting the youth involved. And I think a guy like Ben you know, back to where we started, he probably reaches people who have not considered fishing competitively at a collegiate or high school level. And Mm -hmm. so he, he too, even if it is 1% or one-tenth of 1%, he's recruiting for us. Yep. And as a industry and as a sport, we need all the recruitment we can get. And so I think things like Ben and some of these, these new winners and some of these young guys that we're talking with, I think all these things, put the industry and the sport in a real good spot. So 
even though I'm jaded about some things, I'm very optimistic about where we're headed. Yeah. So I like that. All right. Well, with that, since Danny's office little so yeah, let me put the soapbox away and make a little noise. There you go. That was me putting it up. Besides putting the soapbox away, it's gonna be time for me and Danny to put this show on the trailer, like always. So uh, again, thanks for everyone for just supporting and uh, listening to our show. Just make sure you rate, review, and share it with everyone that you know. And I also want to thank the partners that help make English Channel and the English Channel Insider Podcast happen. And as always, those uh, sponsors and partners are Ranger, Mercury, Humminbird, Minkota, Striking, Lose, Tricked Up, Reliant, Duo Pro Charging Systems, TH Marine, Costa Sunglasses, Toyota, Visit Anderson, and finally, Sportsman's Warehouse. But again, again, thank you. Uh, thank- Thank you to everyone, you know, listeners and supporters out there. And with that, for Danny and for everyone, uh, and for me as well here, we'll catch you all in our next episode. Great show, David. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast. Brought to you by Under Armour Fish, Costa Sunglasses, Pro Charging Systems, X-Zone Lures, and Trickstep. Visit anglerschannel.com, your number one bass fishing tournament resource.